We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Lindsey? It's good. Eight and four team coming off a huge win against the Kansas City Chiefs. And honestly, everyone is talking about the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow right now. So I'm, I'm liking all the content I'm seeing nationally and locally. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, it, you get the weekly QB school, JT O'Sullivan video. That's nice to have when, when they're winning these national games, you're, you feel like you get all this love. And it's nice because what we've been saying for weeks about this team is finally what it seems like the national narrative is starting to be. It's starting to be, oh, this team is legitimately good. They can hang with anybody. This team is, you know, everything we've been saying. And, the, you know, I think teams are, or not teams, but analysts, national analysts are starting to come around to, oh, they're not as, you know, relying on these go balls. They changed the run scheme. And it's like things we've been hammering for a long time about how they're able to methodically move the ball. The run scheme is different. But it's cool when the national narrative catches up and now it doesn't feel like you're getting half-baked takes. You're getting full-on great takes from smart people. Yeah, and I honestly think it has given the fan base, too, a time to appreciate Zach Taylor, Frank Pollock. I know we joked about it on social media, but for them to turn around their game plan offensively and adjust, maybe some people would have liked that during training camp in July, but it's a little hard when your quarterback is not in training camp. But credit to Zach Taylor, credit to Frank Pollock. And it's almost like, I feel like we owe them a little bit of an apology right now. Maybe not us, yeah, we. but not, you're right. You're right. You're not, you're not <laughs> down on him, but I think a lot of Bengals fans owe them an apology because Absolutely. Zach credit to Zach. You, you even put it on social media earlier this week and you said, Hey, Zach was in his bag right here and just <laughs> what they were able to do. And, and we, at one point, you know, everybody was like, nah, he's not the play caller. He needs to give it up. And he stuck with it. Because he has a vision. He knows what's going on. There's more than Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan. You get the quarterback coach and Joe Burrow working to call the, the best play. And just his adjustments, I think we should appreciate that because it's going really well right now offensively. Doing a fantastic job of putting the offense in a position to succeed at all times. And they're also doing a fantastic job of getting stuff against these coverages that I don't, I think this was the issue. It was, you know, what's their answer to this? They have one or two good answers. And then when they cheat those, what do you have? Well, now they got so many and they're getting the stuff they don't normally run. But then when they play their, you know, they play the stuff that has been awesome for them when, you know, they put on the, the show. What I think of is the, the pick wheel Raven concept that that's been in their, um, that's been in their playbook since Zach Taylor got here and they, it should have been a touchdown. That's the one Boyd dropped, but yeah, you get a guy that open into the end zone and it's a play you normally run, but now you don't rely on it at all. So it's just kind of a tool in your tool belt rather than, uh, something that you really need. You know, it's, we are facing this specific look man and the guys are on the same level and pretty close together. So we're going to run this play because we know it'll work. And they don't run it enough that teams are going to cheat it. I think that's just one example, but that's one of 
many examples that you could get to. They ran uh, drive drive sale, which is a drive concept that goes into a sale concept. It's a really cool play. That's what Jamar scored that giant touchdown on last season against the Chiefs. This time they threw it to Boyd, and it was wide open. And they didn't rely on it. They didn't run it more than like once, maybe twice, but it's just something they can get to. And I think that, I think these are cool. These are, these are cool things. It's just, they have so many answers now that it's hard to talk about the Bengals and talk about them as if they're not one of the two, three, I guess, top five conservatively offenses in the league. Especially when we consider the personnel with Burrow and all these guys, he's not, you know, Mike McDaniels and, and getting the, 15 yards of separation in the middle of the field because that's not how this team should win. They should win by Jamar Chase and T. Higgins being dudes on the outside. And then you work the scheme stuff for all the interior guys. And that's what they're able to do, especially with this run game cooking like it is. Yeah, I think honestly, you can go back to Joe Burrow's rookie year and even his first full season in the NFL. After his rookie year, I think in January, he had tweeted something and in 2021, early January, that was just in support of Zach Taylor and believing in him. And everybody knows Joe Burrow when it comes to Twitter and social media. He doesn't post a lot when it comes to Twitter. And it was just a pretty much appreciation for Zach Taylor and believing in him. He knew when people were down on Zach Taylor early um, in 2021 or not even 2021, late in 2020 when Joe got injured. He believed in the vision that Zach Taylor had. And nobody would know Zach Taylor better than Joe Burrow. And I feel like that stuff is, you know, you, you see it now in 2022 that Joe knew something. Joe works with him. Joe believed in what Zach Taylor was putting out there in the meetings that they had and, and what we're seeing. And that vision has really come to life. And I don't think Joe would have ever said any of that or supported the head coach as much as he did if he didn't see it or have that relationship that he has with his head coach. And now, you know, we've had a chance to relax and, and see what this team can be. And we're seeing it out there on the field. You mentioned that Tyler Boyd touchdown, and Tyler talked about it after the game, and he said it hit his hit his helmet, or he would have had it. And honestly, it's directly in the light. So they won. Nothing nothing about that touchdown mattered at the, at the end of the game or anything like that. It didn't factor in. If they would have lost, I'm sure we would have, um, you know, break that down a little more. But um, but overall, you know, you you have that relationship with your head coach and your franchise quarterback, and you can look around the league, and there are some people who are in Joe Burrow's. 2021 or 2020 class that aren't in that same situation that he is with his head coach. And I think we can all appreciate that right now and just kind of take a deep breath and, and realize that this offense is pretty special. Yeah. I think this is, um, you talk about Joe Burrow talking positively about Zach Taylor. And to me early on, that was probably more of a culture thing. You know, like I love this guy. I'd fight for this guy. And now when he adds on and this whole offense adds on, let's not take away credit from pitcher Pollock and Callahan and the whole offensive staff adds on all this scheme stuff, all these answers that way, you know, scheme is so good. I think it's a little bit overrated at times, but it is awesome to have when you have all the execution and the guys that are performing that and you get that from the culture and everything else they were you know they didn't have the most awesome scheme but they went to a super bowl because these guys were executing and they believed in the coach and they worked down the field and they just awesome execution on these plays not from every position but from the you know the wide receivers the quarterback the tight end had you know his probably best season that he'll ever have in his career but um 
now you add on that he's getting guys open that I don't even have to try very hard. Uh, yeah, I think Zach Taylor is proven a lot of people wrong. I think back to when, you know, I always think of our mailbag. You know, our mailbag always has questions what the people want. And they were asking, should he give up play calling early on? And similar to that, that we could talk about too, is the, you lightly mentioned a lot of talk about fire Frank Pollock or we need to move on or, you know, something like that. And I kept preaching patience, but no, nobody's saying that now. Offensive line's playing pretty well. It's just uh, always think back to that Duke Mannyweather interview we had. And he said it'll be like six to eight weeks before they start gelling. And that was it. They started gelling and now they're pretty good. Yeah, and I want to get into more of the offensive line and, and just kind of the patience that we had with that and, and Joe Burrow in just a moment. But you brought up culture. And Jesse Bates talked about it in one of the Zoom interviews on Monday that Monday was an off day. And normally a lot of NFL coaches will give Monday an off day, especially this late in the season when you do win on Sunday and they get Tuesday off. Some people will go and still and lift and everything like that. Jesse Bates said the locker room was filled on Monday and it was an off day. Does that mean anything or is that, you know, oh, is it the culture that they're buying in or, or what does that mean about this team? They're eight and four. They're showing up on off days on Mondays. Yeah, I mean, it means a little bit because, you know, the, I don't think every team would do that if they don't have a great culture. It can get a little bit overblown, <laughs> to be honest. I, I do think that some of that is also we are a contending team. We need to make sure we're whatever. Some of it's, you know, we're sore and need to stretch everything out. So I, I think there is some of the Zach Taylor culture involved in that. But, you know. Winning does winning cures all, and I think a little bit of that might also be they know the opponent coming this week, and they need to they know they need to win this game because you got to get the monkey off the back here against the Cleveland Browns. They are a better team. They have been the better team the past two years, but they don't have a win yet against them with this squad. Yeah, I feel like they've done everything to prove a lot of doubters wrong ever since really the bye. And you can even point to the Browns game in Cleveland, how they've really turned around their season. Four wins in a row is is huge. And to bounce back offensively, and I still feel like their defense has showed up all season. But we'll go to the offense right now. And, and I want to go to Joe Burrow. We talked about him a lot after the game, A-plus game against the Kansas City Chiefs. But it's really fun to watch. And and I know – I actually said this on Twitter um, last week because Cincinnati wasn't getting that national attention. And I said, you have to stop looking for validation. Not every national analyst is going to watch the Cincinnati Bengals. The people who vote on the MVP, they're not going to watch every game. There's a reason why Joe Burrow – was in Peter King's top three MVP after being in the top 10 last week because that game was shown to 90% of the United States. So a lot of people want to watch Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. And honestly, if you're the NFL, you want to see that in the playoffs because your ratings are going to skyrocket. It's always big numbers when you have the two of those guys facing off. But, you know, they they, they are getting that attention right now. And, and when you went back to watch the tape, what did you see from Joe Burrow that we didn't talk about on Sunday? Uh, just great performance. I mean, what I could count like on my hand the amount of uh, a miss, not an optimal read, not that he made a terrible one, but just not the perfect read, not the perfect throw. And maybe, you know, I do think the one real bad play was just the time he took that sack, but then he makes up for it with an amazing throw on third and 11 to ice the game. Uh, I thought he was really good. I, I 
I think the Chiefs threw a lot at him, trying to confuse him mostly, and he just wasn't confused for the most part. He knew what was coming. They'd play all these disguises. They'd get out of it, and he would get to the right answer. I think he also got some extra benefit from his offensive line. They played well, like we talked about. But he also makes the offensive line right a lot because this offensive line, they don't lose dramatically. They don't get beat and have the guy running behind him chasing Burrow down. When they lose, it's just a little, I lost my leverage and I need you to work around me type things. But I could still be right. When you get beat and the defensive lineman gets behind you and you're turned around, you can no longer be right. But when you're getting beat and, you know, you're in front of the guy, you can still be right on that play. Um could still wash him out of the pocket. I think they got a little bit of that. I don't think there was very much pressure, but I do think when it happened, it was something that Burrow was able to maneuver around and easily avoid. I think that Burrow also had one heck of a game with his legs. Just smart, efficient, consistent, really, really, really good game from him. Uh, I think considering the opponent and the stakes, this has a case as his best game, even though the Falcons game clearly just on the field production was the better game. Uh, I think this one, when you consider it's the chiefs on the national stage, this is a team you have to score against the Falcons. They could have gotten away with an okay Burrow game and still won. They blew them out because Burrow had an amazing game, but they could have just had an okay game and won. here. They needed that good Burrow game and they got a great one. So that's, I think super important. And like you mentioned for the MVP discussion, he's there. Uh, I think he's 10 to one right now. And it's like, I think I, I mentioned he gets to face Brady. We see how important that is now. I don't think this week is going to be something that's super important, even if he plays well, but you get the bills on Monday night football and you get the Ravens week 18, which would, which could be for the division. Those two games are probably going to be pretty huge for the MVP debate. Yeah. And, and it's just absolutely wild to think about because last year he was playing at an MVP type level. There were just people over him and no surprise that he wasn't, you know, mentioned among the greats who were in the race for it late in the season. He was obviously the comeback player of the year. And hey, this guy had a Super Bowl on his mind and, and he got there. But I want to get to a little more about Joe Burrow before we focus on the offensive line and the defensive side next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, keeping that discussion with number nine, Joe Burrow. We talked MVP in his game, and I think when you think of the game against Kansas City, before we focus on the Browns and kind of look in the second half of the season, third and eleven. The locker room, what I love about the locker room interviews, you get to hear from the players after the game. Everybody's hyped. Tyler Boyd's hyping up T. Higgins. They win in the huddle. It's third and 11. And if someone would have told me from home they were going to throw it, I don't know if I would have believed you because I thought thought they were going to run it to run more time off the clock and just set up the field goal. But they knew it was a similar situation to being in Cincinnati last year, January 2nd, six minutes and 20 seconds on the clock. And they knew they had to score a touchdown there, even though they kicked the game-winning field goal. They had to do that because they didn't want Patrick Mahomes on the field again. Kansas City was out of timeouts. They were going to have about 50 seconds. But honestly, that was going to be enough for Patrick Mahomes to get down the field. 
They would have only had a six-point lead if Evan McPherson makes the kick. They went in the huddle, and they said, Joe, are we running? Are we passing? And he looked at him, and he goes, we're, we're throwing. We're throwing the ball. And just the way that third and 11 was, talking to people from Kansas City, listening to people talk to about Joe Burrow, the breakdown, that, that image was everywhere. Video on NFL Live of the third and 11 throw. And it was just, I know what I'm doing here. We're going to end this game right now. And when you go back to watch that tape, you know, what impresses you the most about Joe Burrow besides that? Because I think that's what just seals the deal. Hey, I'm in the top three of MVP MVP right now when I throw for the third and 11 first down when the game's on the line. Yeah, that throw was incredible. It showed off some arm strength that I don't think people think he has to fit that tight window throw. Uh, it shows he hits a second window there. So that's good processing to know. They The Chiefs on a chalkboard had him. They had the Bengals dead to right. But T. Higgins is T. Higgins beats what he shouldn't beat. They played two-man. And two-man means you have inside leverage. Inside leverage, you're going to take away that slant. Well, T. Higgins just is able to cross the face and take away. And now he has the inside leverage and the cornerback's falling behind him. To go with that, it took him a second to get there, though, because it is not supposed to work that way. So Burrow is able to stay pat, and he does this thing. And uh, and the only quarterback, you know, clinic type thing I have really, really studied was this Chad Pennington one, where Burrow does this too. And it's interesting because I actually watched something on this. But on quick game, he doesn't move. He doesn't hitch. He just holds it. He holds it. And it kind of looks a little bit statuesque, but he held it and then threw instead of rhythm of three throw it was three hold hold throw not hitching because that can get you out of your rhythm but just holding it there and i don't think a lot of quarterbacks do that so that was a really good throw from him and i think it also tip of it's uh an example of his game overall because it on that play there's a stunt on the right side doesn't get picked up because law collins doesn't get the depth required and to pick it up and Kappa passes it off. So the, he takes a hit. He takes a hit as he throws that ball. But you wouldn't even know if you just watched it and didn't pay attention because he's just standing. He's not panicked at all. He throws it, takes the hit, first down. Who cares? We just won the game. Is Joe Burrow, and this is kind of like a hot topic because I want to get into this team versus 2021 in just a moment. Is he playing better than what you saw last year? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, I think. I, I I think he's more clean and consistent mechanically. I think he is a little – he's about the same accuracy. He was ex- insanely accurate last year. Uh, he's not pushing the ball down the field as much as last season, but he's still doing it, and he's doing everything at a high level. I, I think he's more consistent this season. And other than the Pittsburgh game, he has done such a great job of a not really taking sacks. If you want to include the Dallas game of he's took some sacks there, but not really taking too many sacks and definitely not turning the ball over. Yeah. And I think that's just something that's really exciting at this point in the season, because you are getting December football, you have those January games and for him to be playing at an MVP type level, is just great for this offense. But honestly, you can go back to when they were playing without Jamar Chase. I truly feel like that only helped Joe Burrow figure out, hey, I'm going to make, you know, Trentner went out there, other weapons on offense. You look at their run game right now. And that just kind of helped Joe Burrow because there was a lot of credit to Patrick Mahomes being without Tyreek Hill. 
and, you know, what he was able to do as a quarterback with this offense and it made him better. I think you could say the same for Joe Burrow right now. And the good news is you get Jamar Chase back. He was out there already. And I feel like he was a factor. 97 yards, a couple big first downs. I know one was a little controversial on, on, on social media. I, I don't believe that there was any official questions or anything like that. I know Kansas City fans wanted to bring up one of Jamar Chase's first downs. But but overall, I feel like that that helped Joe Burrow being without his number one guy still. Yeah, it's – that didn't have to be a punishment. It was a catalyst for growth within the offense uh, with Joe Burrow. Just you don't rely on Jamar Chase anymore. Yeah, you're going to get to him when he's there, when he's open, but you don't need to force it. And you don't need the offense to rely on him just making the big play. Now the offense is so machine-like. It's like a very well-oiled machine to just march down the field, just push down the field instead of being this offense that is a little bit stagnant. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Giant play. Touchdown. Nothing, nothing. But now it's just 10, 10, 10, 8, 5, 6, 10, you know, yard gains. And then you end up in the end zone. And I think that is something we didn't really see last year, both because Burrow didn't have the same level of patience, which makes sense. Young players don't really have that. It's something you develop as you get older. He's developed it very quickly, but he has the patience now to just take 10 yard gains the entire way down the field and score that way. And then to go with that, uh, the office is just better designed and, Overall, I, I am in awe when I watch the offense. This is now one of the most fun and well-put-together offenses in the NFL, in my opinion. Let's stay with the offense. We've talked about him plenty, honestly. I feel like a running back segment every episode, but you went back and you got the chance to watch Samaj P. Ryan. Zach Taylor said that he pretty much counted Joe Mixon out on Saturday, but he should should be good to go next week when they play the Cleveland Browns. When you went back to just kind of watch the tape, review the game again, what did you think of Samaj? I thought he was good. I think, man, I would just so much love to have a Samaje P. Ryan discussion. That's just P. Ryan. So if we could do it for like two minutes without Let's talking about Let's do it right Mixer. now. It's, it's our oh, podcast. He's good. He's good. He's very fun. He's such a strong back. He has a nasty stiff arm. Obviously, he makes, for the most part, pretty good reads. And he just puts his shoulder down, gets the extra yardage on contact. He's a great pass blocker. Just so much to like about him. Um we can get into later about, you know, why I still prefer Mixon to be the lead back here, but he's just stepped up in such a big way. And I want to give him credit because I know I am on the Mixon as the starter train, but Samaje's played so well that I, I uh, this isn't an issue. This is a testament to their depth and what Samaje has been able to do in Mixon's absence that you could just kind of plug and play and get nearly the same results. Um, I thought he was great again. I, I think he does a very good job. I think he might be better from under center. And they went a little bit more to the under center stuff this week, although it was all well-designed. I thought there were some beauties that were play-action passes under center, but they went a little bit back to that rather than a lot of the shotgun stuff. I think Mixon's better in the shotgun. P. Ryan's better under center. And uh, they went to that, but he, he had a great game. I want to give him credit because he's playing well. He's playing very well. And I think, yeah, he's, he's so powerful. He does remind me of like the old, old uh, fullback that you hand the ball off to a lot where he's not the fastest guy, not the most explosive guy, but oh, it is a pain to tackle that guy, especially as the game gets going. And uh, 
he's going to get you four or five yards just about every play. No, he's not going to break one off for 25, but he's going to get you four yards here, five yards here, six yards here, and just keep punishing the defense for tackling him. So you're saying like an OG, Jeremy Johnson, Lorenzo Neal. I mean, that would be huge. Everybody knows LT, what he was able to do with the Chargers with Neal and, and when Lorenzo was here. So maybe we have that with Samaje. A Mike Allstott type. Yeah, you know, one of these guys is just, they are fun to watch because they just plow ahead, put their shoulder down. They're big and strong and uh, not, not the most explosive, but yeah, just Jeremy Johnson, great shout out. Loved him when he was here. Uh, Brian Leonard was kind of that. And I think Brian Leonard is almost a little bit of a good comp because Brian Leonard had that awesome, what, second effort play against the Steelers to get the first down. And Samaje this week had that awesome second effort play to get the first down against the Chiefs. So uh, there's a lot, you know, he's one of those big, big back types. And 20 years ago, he'd probably be 10 pounds heavier and playing fullback, but he's uh, in a spread era, no real fullbacks. He's about that size, but he's just going to play tailback and halfback. He does a really good job. I don't want to discredit him at all for his performances. He's doing a good job at running back. You know, it's funny. I actually thought about this yesterday because I'm a nerd, but I said, you know what? It's wild. If someone would have told me after the Super Bowl, we would be sitting here in early December talking about Samaje Pirine being one of the starting running backs and some people wanting Samaje out there over Joe Mixon, I would have said, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. Not because I'm, I'm going to discredit Samaje, just because I knew what it felt like after that game. But I think you have to look at it like this is a great thing. This is a great thing for your offense. You brought up the depth with it. You have Travion Williams out here. You have Chris Evans scoring a touchdown, which just throws everything off. Um, Not fully in the doghouse. Good yeah, for Chris yeah. Evans. Yeah, and it's, it's a good problem to have. I think people need to realize that instead of saying, this is your number one guy. And to be determined how Cincinnati really does offensively against the Cleveland Browns, I do want them to run the ball. But at the same time, will they put Samaji out there more? Will they make Joe Mixon light just to kind of get him back in the groove of everything, what that's going to look like? It doesn't have to be a versus this guy. Just like the number one receiver. The Bengals have two number one receivers on their team. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. You can look at these running backs and say, look, this is a good problem for Joe Burrow to have right now. This is not a bad thing, but it always has to be kind of this guy versus this guy. But instead, I'm like, hey, look, Samaje can run. If you get Joe Mixon back, I'm all about it. There's nothing bad about that. Yeah. To me, the running offense is still at its best with Joe Mixon. I think he does fit into running from the gun more. I think he's just the more explosive player. And since the injury has seemed to heal with the long bye after the Dolphins game, he has been pretty darn good. Five yards per carry over that stretch since week five. Um, I think he gets a lot of flack for how the team performed running offense-wise over the first uh, four games there. And he deserves some of that, although I do think he was playing injured. And these guys who play injured always end up getting penalized for it by the mass, by the fans, by uh, media, everybody like that, just because they fight through it and they're not able to play their normal performance. So I'd try to give him some benefit of the doubt, but he didn't play well. That's just seared into the memory because he had so many carries and so many touches and he wasn't playing well. I think he's been playing well since then. And it's something I think we have to realize that I think good Mixon is back. And yes, this week, I'm sure we will talk much more in our preview. Uh, 
that'll come out on Friday. But this week, I think Mixon could be key and Piran both could be key because this Browns run defense is really bad. I know they didn't show it in the Monday night football game, but on paper, this is an area the Bengals should be able to exploit. Yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to what it could look like with Smajay and Joe Mixon. And hopefully Joe Mixon is is good to go. We will find out more when they get back to practice on Wednesday and Thursday. But it really did sound pretty optimistic from Zach Taylor after his press conference on Monday. But yeah, no, I I'm all about it right now. I think you bring up a good a good point. You're like, let's give Samaje his, but Joe Mixon right now. He's still your number one guy. We are going to get to the preview prediction for that going into Thursday, and it'll be out Friday. But when you think of what the game plan would be or what you would do as a coach, are you are you rolling still with Samaje to start the game and then just kind of feeling it out with Joe Mixon? Are you easy, easing it in, or, or what are you doing with the running back situation on Sunday? I'm starting Mixon and running him. I, I think a concussion is something you'll need to really ease somebody back from, especially when he's had two weeks from it. As long as he's cleared to go and he feels okay, I think you just run him. If he was a hamstring injury, maybe you look to starting P. Ryan and easing Mixon in with a few carries here or there. Or if it was the ankle again, I think about it. This is actually something that's interesting. Um, I think if Mixon had the ankle injury, the nagging ankle injury now, you would probably see a, just a bigger Samaje split. And Mixon's still out there, but you don't need him to carry the load because – Piran showed he can do that. Um, now with the concussion, I don't think that's something you need to ease him back in from, but uh, not a doctor either. <laughs> it's just uh, when people come back from concussions, they seem to play full allotment of snaps and seem to do a pretty good job. Uh, I think that I would just roll Mixon out there as a starter, but I would spell him more. I would give Piran more run. And my plan probably would be a little bit more running than usual just because of how the Browns play. No, all good points. I'm actually looking forward to the game plan and then obviously getting Joe Mixon back out there offensively. Hopefully they can keep it rolling. Offensive line, the defensive side, playoff P as Cheeto likes to call him Jermaine Pratt. I want to give him some more props on this episode next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back. It's always game day in Cincinnati. A lot to talk about with Kansas City Chiefs. We talked Zach Taylor, Frank Pollock, Joe Burrow, Samaje Piran, Joe Mixon. We got to stick with the offensive line right now. It's very refreshing to watch Joe Burrow have time. And he is producing, and we saw it last year, what he was able to do without a great offensive line. And just credit to this, this O-line right now. Let's start with Jonah Williams. How did he look out there on Sunday? Good. Again, it's another good game from Jonah Williams. He didn't have the highest quality of competition, but he took advantage of it and didn't allow very much pressure. Uh, I think PFF him with no pressures. I think there was one play where Chris Jones lined up over him and he got a little bit of help. He got beat but had help. Uh, overall, though, really good performance. One play out of, what, 30 pass attempts, 31 pass attempts. Uh, you have a holding call, and he did hold on that, so I guess you could take that away from him as well. Uh, the Getting downfield too quick, sure. But overall, I thought even considering all of that, he played well. He did a good job of locking down the left side. All right, we're going to stay with tackles right now. Our guy, Lyle Collins, everybody knows he was playing through injury pretty much most of the season. He has a light practice workload through most of the week. It's that, that day off on Wednesday. How is he starting to look out there? 
Yeah, I still think he looks like a starting quality right tackle, but I don't think he looks like the guy from Dallas, and I just don't know if we'll ever get that, and that's okay because they are getting solid performances across the board, so he's allowed to not play as well as we thought he might have been able to. It's kind of disappointing because I really wanted to see that Lyle Collins, but is what it is, and he's not playing at a terrible level right now. I think he's playing okay. Cordell Volson. Get some rookie love out there. This guard, he's definitely had to go up against some of the best in the NFL over the last few weeks. How is he looking so far? He played well on Sunday. Not perfect, not fantastic, but he played well against a tough opponent. Uh, he would hold his own when asked to man up pretty much everybody that wasn't Chris Jones. When he was against Chris Jones, up and down, he got you know, he got sunned a little bit, but he also won some of those matchups. And for the most part, the Bengals didn't want Chris Jones to be in very, very many true one-on-one -on -one situations. So he didn't have to do it that often. Uh, but against everybody else, he, he held his own and was a pretty decent run blocker too. There's just little things here and there that need cleaned up. But overall, I like what I have seen out of Cordell Wilson, especially lately. It seems like he is improving a lot. I'm not trying to combine the two together, but since they were free agents that came into Cincinnati, Ted Karras, a, a big fan favorite. It's funny because I said it on the podcast on Sunday. He had the third loudest chance at the stadium. People love some Teddy K out there and Alex Kappa. How are they starting to look on the offensive line as they continue to gel? Yeah, they're playing good. I think they are the two best members on the offensive line so far this season. And it's cool. I, I think if you ask me to pick which one is performing better, I guess I'd say Alex Kappa just because I think he gets more difficult assignments at times, but they're both playing well and they're both a good, they make up a good duo right there, both in pass protection and in the run game. I think uh, Karras and Kappa have been consistently good. Karras probably slightly more consistent, but Kappa with, you know, a little bit higher highs than Karras has hit. We're flipping to the defensive side. Obviously, we talked about it plenty on Sunday's podcast, but when you go back to watch the tape, Cam Taylor-Britt is definitely stepping up right now. When you're without one of your best defensive players in Cheeto, but shout out to Cheeto because he's on the sideline. He has his crutches. I know they have a chair for him in a safe area because he's already had a surgery in California. But for this guy to be out there, I just think an all-time leader defensively, even though he is recovering from surgery. But you, you look at the cornerback room and Cam Taylor Britt. To be completely honest with you, I didn't think Cam Taylor Britt was going to be a factor in his rookie year. Probably talked about that early on, and you heard it from Lou Anarumo. But for him to just be able to step up, and he's in those plays. There's so many times that when there is that that touchdown that ends up counting for Kansas City or even the Titans, he's batting it away. He's trying to get the ball out. And I think this guy is just really fun to watch in his rookie year right now. What stands out from, from Cam Taylor? Uh, what stands out is his willingness to – attack his willingness to tackle uh, it sucks he didn't bring down Juju Smith-Schuster but that's been an area that he's been good at I just think the offense gets paid too Juju got paid because he's strong and can pick up that extra yard or two it's going to happen but his willingness his tenacity his physical play that all stands out for me with Cam Taylor Britt and I think yeah, it's such a good rep. He almost came with that interception, but Jesse Bates hits him at the same time going for the interception. That was a really good play from him, and that was something 
where we weren't sure we could see. So to see Cam Taylor Britt have that performance, awesome. I thought that they played okay. It was up and down a little bit, but overall, I'll take that when you're talking about a rookie uh, late second round pick against probably the best or one of the best offenses on paper in the league. I think a lot of us felt after the Cleveland Browns game that it felt like not only a loss, but it almost felt like two losses when you lose Cheeto, as I mentioned before, still a guy, a leader in the meetings room. And I think that's really telling defensively. Obviously, Cam Taylor-Britt is not Cheeto, and there's no comparison, and I will not compare them because I still miss Cheeto out there, and I always feel comfortable. Actually, going into this game against Kansas City, I thought, if Cheeto's out there, I feel so confident in this game plan because I like how the offense is playing, and I trust Lou to stop Patrick Mahomes. But it's almost like they, they won't skip a beat when you have Lou on the other side. Do you feel... Okay, going forward, knowing it's Cam Taylor Britt and Eli Apple out there in your secondary? I feel okay. I thought Eli Apple played really well in this game. I think overall, I just still feel okay about it. And I'm not sure they're going to get a big test. I mean, Amari Cooper is a test for the Browns, but who knows how the passing game is going to look. Mike Evans is a test on the outside for the Bucks, but again, who knows how the passing game is going to look. The one test that's coming up that I think is the one I am most nervous for, but also I think will be the biggest tell is the Bills. And what do they do with Stephon Diggs? What's the plan? And when they do have to trust their guys in man coverage against Stephon Diggs, can they hold up or is it a big liability or they not even do that? No matter the situation, do they always give help on Stephon Diggs? Who knows? I want to see. Um, that is the one I'm most interested in is the Bills with Stephon Diggs and how these guys are going to hold up against him. Last week I asked you, who would you rather get the win over, Kansas City or the Buffalo Bills? And one of the topic of conversation is the playoffs right now. I think a lot of Kansas City Chiefs fans, and look, the Bengals aren't in the playoffs yet. There's still a lot of games to be played, so to be determined, I think their chances are in the 90%. Uh, they are the fifth seed right now, and, and they're still up for winning the division. And even in the race to get the number one seed. But if you were to look in the future and you're the Cincinnati Bengals, who would you rather play the Buffalo Bills or the Kansas city chiefs? And it's going to be hard no matter what, but if you had to choose. Uh, the chiefs, a, it, they have the history with them at this point, three in a row. And then B, I think they match up better because you don't need with a injury uh, because you need a guy that might be able to handle Stephon Diggs, or at least that's a matchup they can exploit when it does happen. With the Chiefs, you don't really have that as much. You're not getting that exploited matchup with uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, even if he had an okay game. You're not getting it with Juju Smith-Schuster, even though he had an okay game. And you're not getting it with Sky Moore, whoever. It doesn't matter who they are. I think this team matches up better with a great tight end like Travis Kelsey than they might with a great wide receiver like Stephon Diggs. So... That's the one thing that drives me towards the Kansas City matchup. Also, I would prefer to play in Kansas City versus in Buffalo because there could be like two feet of snow. Oh, no. Snow football would be the best, but I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, but for a playoff game, I mean, to have I everything that could come either. down to like a slip or an odd an oddity is something that I don't want to see from uh, uh, like the AFC championship. No, I agree with you. I think it's definitely Kansas City. The only thing I'm a little concerned about 
it's probably really difficult to beat a team four times <laughs> in a row. I said that about three. I don't know. I Maybe know. at this point, this is just it. And and the thing is, it's funny because I was reading some of the national narratives or the recaps during the game after the game was over, and a lot of people said, oh, this game feels flipped. It feels like Cincinnati's Kansas City from last year, and Kansas City is Cincinnati from last year. But, you know, obviously the outcome was still the same. Um, you know what you have. And when you have Lou on the other side, I mean, yeah, it, it's wild to think we are here in 2022 to say, yeah, I'd rather play an arrowhead. I'd rather play an arrowhead in the playoffs, but that's to the point of the season that we're currently at right now. Yeah, this is where we are, where you guys guess you'd rather play Kansas City than Buffalo. And I do think the one thing I'm not really talking much about, there's two, is I know Lou has had his number, but Patrick Mahomes is the better, probably still for my money, sorry, uh, Burrow, top three. I think Mahomes is still the best quarterback, and Andy Reid is still my choice for best coach so eventually that might have to give but the Bengals just match up and they do a great job of exploiting their matchups and winning these games it's hard to say you wouldn't rather play against the Chiefs uh I want to see them beat Buffalo too and just you know defeat all of their main competition the AFC Buffalo Kansas City Tennessee and Miami but I don't know. I, I do think that this team just matches up better with Kansas City. And it's interesting because I think if you would ask that question without any knowledge of the history of these teams, you would probably go with Buffalo. But I don't think I would. You know what? At the same time, I, it's fun to always talk about that stuff when you think of the playoffs in January, what that's going to look like. The playoffs are hard, so you're going to have to play a hard opponent no matter what. If it's at home or it's on the road, more than likely it's going to be on the road. But, hey, there's a lot of football left to play, and Cincinnati's playing like one of the best teams in the NFL. I know we've talked about him plenty of times before, and I think Cincinnati has a decision to make this offseason when it comes to Jermaine Pratt. But if you go back to that highlight – and just the funny part is the mic'd up of him saying, you know, talking on the sideline side with Logan Wilson. And it was like, oh, we need a turnover right now. And for him to go back out there and just steal the ball from Travis Kelsey, when you went back to watch the tape, just what impresses you the most about Jermaine Pratt this season? I think, I think there were a ton of flashes and um, even to some degree consistency last year, but he has leveled up the areas that I thought were slight weaknesses. And now he doesn't really have any weaknesses to my eye as, as a linebacker, at least nothing glaring. And uh, to go with that, he still is a strength in a few areas, tackling, forcing turnovers like he did against Travis Kelsey, you know, ripping that ball out. He did that against Dalvin cook. Uh, let's not forget that one too. In week one of last season. And, uh, does a good job matching and playing man coverage. And now he's doing a pretty good job with his zones, his eyes on zones and your know, true spot drop, feel them out zones rather than just matching and running with guys. So he's developed into smart, uh, effective linebacker does a great job fitting the run. I think a better job this year than he did last year. He's a good blitzer can play on the edge. He's versatile just overall. He's, a, he's a really strong piece of this team. I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league. And uh, it'll be interesting coming contract time. Do they get him under a deal? What's the deal like? 
in my mind, it's it's not going to be something that breaks the bank, but it's also you know it's starting level linebacker money, and I think he plays upper, he plays higher than just a starting level. I think he's a, a good above average, if not better than that, uh, starting linebacker in this league. No, I agree with you. And I think one of the things we we always talk about big money contracts because it is the T. Higgins conversation. It's the Jamar Chase conversation. It's the future of Joe Burrow. Can they pay these guys? Yes, I truly believe they're going to pay their quarterback. And, and it maybe it's two receivers, maybe it's one. But at the moment, again, this team has a really great problem because their drafts are going well and in free agency. But right now, it's winning football. They're eight and four. Big AFC North game coming up on Sunday and would be another huge win for this team because you look around the the AFC North and the Steelers-Ravens game, I wouldn't say that's a for sure W for the Baltimore Ravens right now. And this would be huge for Cincinnati to get one game up on the Baltimore Ravens if they were to beat the Browns on Sunday. But I know you're busy. You got plenty of work on all Bengals right now, and everybody should follow you on Twitter, Bengals underscore Sands. Good breakdowns from every game and just a just a great commentary. So make sure you're following them. But what's up on all Bengals right now? Gonna be writing about the offensive line, going back to the roots. So it'll be an offensive line breakdown by the time you're listening to this. We need to get Duke Mayweather back on the pod. I did message him and say, hey. It's been some time. It was after week one. We need to talk more offensive line. And I know everybody wants to hear about uh, who's protecting Joe Burrow. How's it going? And then the chemistry we're really starting to see credit to Frank Pollock and in the O-line right now. So we'll be back later this week. I can't wait to break down the Bengals and the Browns, I think. <laughs> Make sure you're always uh, following along on Twitter at LNGS Patterson, Bengals underscore Sands. And thank you for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.